Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice. Believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, and welcome back from your uh, your uh, Labor Day weekend. There's a bunch of Labor Day stuff or labor stuff that I wanted to talk about today, but uh, and and arguably, I suppose DACA falls into that category. And as much as you've got eight hundred thousand more or less, uh, it's just short of a million young people who came to this country as children following their parents, and President Obama, because the Republicans in Congress couldn't, you know, they, they were, well, I, I don't recall if they, if they, uh, if they blocked the bill, the DREAM Act, if it was filibustered in the Senate, or if it was, if they just, you know, couldn't get the thing into the House, it, it would depend on what year it came in, and that's the one thing I don't have in front of me, I'm sorry, but the, the DREAM Act is really, you know, I mean, this is what needs to be done now. That would be the Democratic version. Now, the Republican version that they're busily working on will say, you know, unless you're employed and and uh, unless you're employed and or, and or going to school and or in the military, we're going to deport you. So quick, get one of those three, right? And for young people, you know, hey, there aren't jobs everywhere. Although about 95% of these dreamers are actually in one of those three categories right now. But, you know, my guess is that if Republicans do this, they're going to use this as a, as a weapon to get something. They're going to say to the Democrats, you know, you really don't want to veto or filibuster this in the Senate because we're giving you your your dreamers, right? We're doing something nice for the children. Now, in exchange for that, being Republicans, we want something nice for the billionaires. What's it going to be? I don't know. We'll see. You know, are they going to tie it to tax, to so-called tax reform, do tax cuts for the rich? Is that what they're going to do? Are they going to tie it to, you know, continuing to undermine Obamacare? This is incredible. The, the, uh, the, the Trump administration, uh, they, they, have, they have cut the budget for this fall. There, there's an open enrollment period. It, it was supposed to be three or four months. They've cut it down to like two months. I think it's uh, November, December now, maybe a little bit of January. And the, the budget has been cut from $100 million in 2016 down to $10 million to advertise the fact that Hey, if you want Obamacare, you have to sign up for it now. Except that they use that money to make a series of videos that you can find over on the whitehouse.gov site from people saying, I hate Obamacare. Seriously, this is the money to encourage people to sign up. See, it's like anything that, that our nation's first black president did, anything that Barack Obama did, good, bad, in between, whatever it may be. Well, actually... Not, you know, the, the Trump wants to get rid of. It just occurred to me, actually, not everything. 
You know, uh, uh, President Obama continued the, the war with or the occupation of Afghanistan and Iraq. Trump wants to put that on steroids. He, you know, started a few other military. So anything that doesn't support the billionaires and the military industrial complex, Trump is going to reverse. Obama didn't prosecute the banksters. Trump is not going to start. So, you know, he's being very selective. Basically, anything Obama, uh, President Obama did that helps average working people or people of color, Obama is, or Trump is going to reverse. Business Insider, Bob Bryan had a piece last week about this whole thing, you know, increasing enrollment in, um, in Obamacare. And they, sla okay, they slashed the uh, length of open enrollment in half. It's now from November 1st to December 15th. And it used to go from November 1st to the end of January. So they literally cut in half the period of time during which you can sign up for Obamacare. So is that going to be what they want in exchange for uh, legitimizing dreamers? Who knows? Who knows? Remarkable stuff. Have you seen, have you seen this uh, McDonald's ad that... Um, Starts out with the branch manager, you know, saying, hey, where's my French fries? And then this young kid comes in uh, and says, uh, got this letter and he's, he hasn't even opened it yet. And the manager opens the letter and says, oh, we're pleased to announce that you've been accepted. And then it talks about how McDonald's is, is supporting young people going to college. This is the ad. Can you hear this? What's going on? Oh, hey. We've all seen this ad, right? They've been playing it like crazy. Everybody, two seconds. Dear Sebastian, after careful consideration of your application. So, you know, hey, you know, wonderful. We gave you a job and we support you and go to college. The, the response to Hurricane Harvey has been really, really interesting. We're seeing... Well, it, it, Jeff Bezos, the same thing, actually. Something, this isn't Hurricane Harvey, but um, it's sort of the same thing. This, this is Jeff Bezos saying to the, to the Twitter sphere, hey, how should I give away my money? Right? How should I give away my money? What should I do? And, you know, the guy's worth $80 billion now. And... One of, the, one of the suggestions that one of his employees made was, how about paying your people well? Now, this is a guy who actually works for Jeff Bezos. He works for the Washington Post. Now, he is the guy who runs the union that negotiates with Jeff Bezos at the Washington Post. So I guess he has a certain amount of insulation to be able to say these things. His name is Frederick Kunkel, writing for uh, the the um, Huffington Post a couple of days ago. He writes, earlier this summer, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos invited his Twitter followers to help him come up with ideas on how he should donate some of his fortune. He's now worth $80 billion. But then he says, hey, many people worked hard for Bezos to help make him so rich, and he has a record of treating them poorly. Amazon's history of dodging taxes, its mistreatment of workers, and its ruthlessness toward even the smallest competitors have been well-documented. It put ambulances outside distribution centers rather than install adequate air conditioning. It broke up a union organizing effort by closing the call center and dismissing everyone who worked there. New York Times documented its punishing work environment in a front page expose. The company's actions, as Forbes put it, harken back to an earlier time when workers were, were treated as replaceable cogs in the machine. Then he talks about the Washington Post, where he works, which Bezos recently purchased. He says, two years ago, Bezos slashed retirement benefits. For reasons that remain unclear, he froze a pension plan that was awash in so much money that neither he, he nor the company could possibly have faced additional liabilities. And then he goes on to talk about this had nothing to do with the balance sheet. It was arguably everything to do with ideology. And it almost overshadowed Bezos' demand for the right to cancel everyone's health insurance and his push to take it away from part-time employees. Only by making sacrifices with the, was the Post's union able to maintain health insurance for part-timers whose cost of coverage was about what the Post spent to send its publisher to the White House Correspondents Association dinner. Bezos wants to cut severance pay, too. Even worse, he'd hold those severance payments hostage by requiring employees to waive all legal claims against the company in order to collect severance. He calls this cynical. 
And then he talks about Bezos and his philanthropy. He says, this is nothing new. The Rockefeller family perfected this strategy more than a century ago. Back in 1915, John D. Rockefeller was called to testify before the Condition Commission on Industrial Relations about a brutal strike at one of his family's mines in Colorado. So what did Rockefeller do? He talked about how he was ending hookworm in foreign countries. He was underwriting the American Academy in Rome, and he created a sanctuary for migratory birds in Louisiana. Yes, that's how Rockefeller testified before Congress. So the point of all this is you've got the billionaire class and you've got working people and you've got government as the only thing that can protect working people from the billionaire class. But the billionaire class does not want you depending on government. They do not want government to have that kind of of consensus, of, of approval. They don't want the government to have that kind of appreciation. They don't want the government to have that kind of power, frankly. And so they promote these memes. There's one on the printer, Louise. They promote these memes uh, that I'd like, to, I'd like to read on the air. They promote these memes that, that just, you know, basically are destructive to democracy, frankly, and, and, and memes that, that cause us to think that, you know, government is incompetent, government can't do anything right. So what's the corollary to that? I mean, you know, it seems like it's in a vacuum. I got this email from a, from a friend this morning who, who uh, uh, you know, is, a, is a, a comedian, a performer, a good guy. I've known him for years and years. And it's got all this anti-government rhetoric in it, which I'm, I'm waiting for. And, and it's, it's like, why, why would they say this? For example... In, in my many years, I've come to the conclusion that one useless man is a shame, two is a law firm, and three or more is a government. John Adams. Well, John Adams actually didn't say that. But in any case, if you don't read a newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read a newspaper, you are misinformed. Mark Twain, right. Okay. So don't believe the news, right? Uh, uh, suppose you were an idiot. Suppose you were a member of government. But then I repeat myself, Mark Twain. I don't know if he said that or not, but these, these kinds of memes... See, the only thing that can stop the billionaire class is government. Which takes us to philanthropy, which is where I started in this whole thing. Jeff Bezos asking about, you know, where should I give the the response to Hurricane Harvey on the right has been we need to appeal to people to give money to these folks. Right? You should be sending a check to the Red Cross. That's been the appeal on the right. Why? Because they don't think the government has a role in this. The, 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 the call on the left is, where the hell is government? You know, Congress, get together and pass that $8 billion and give it to FEMA and start getting money to those people down there, get supplies to them. There's no charity in this country that can deal with a disaster the proportions of, of uh, Harvey. And now you've got another one coming. You know, out of the out of the Atlantic that that could be striking Florida by this week. So there's this deep and prof profound difference in worldview between the right and the left. And it's showing up in how people are pitching help for the victims of Harvey. I find this fascinating. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman program. More of uh, my rants, the news of the day and your calls right after this. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Every, over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. 
Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM. Void where prohibited. Okay, uh, welcome back. So the, 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 the point here, there's, actually I've kind of wrapped up two or three different messages in this opening rant. The first is that if you see people out there promoting the idea that in order to help, that the best way to help hurricane victims is to send money or food. I mean, it's a fine thing. It's, it makes us all feel good to help out. Right. And making a contribution, sending $50, $100 to the Red Cross, you know, whatever it may be. I last week I, I read on the air a list of local Dallas charities that are all, you know, have their websites up, even if, even though they may be uh, drowned right now. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, that's it's always best to go with local charities. But I didn't dwell on it. I mean, I read the list, but I didn't. I didn't dwell on it and go over it and beg you to send the money because I believe that this is something we should all be taking care of, not through a fund drive, not through a can at the front of a 7-Eleven with, you know, Sally needs a, a kidney transplant. Please put a dollar in the jar. That is the most stupid way to fund the commons. It's the most stupid way to fund what we all need. It's, it's the most conservative and stupid way to, to accomplish the goals of, of meeting the needs of the, the general welfare of American citizens, which is one of the six things that the U.S. Constitution's preamble says that the Constitution was established to do. In fact, even in the enumerated powers section, section Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, it both opens and closes with saying, these are the things that government can do in order to, uh, in order to enhance the general welfare of the American people. So what I think we should all be doing is calling our elected officials and raising absolute hell and saying, you know, do something about this. And by the way, when, when Dallas or when Houston rebuilds, how about some zoning? How about some green areas? How about some wetlands? How about, you know, something that will, now I realize this flood was so massive. It was fueled by global warming. There's, you know, 6% more moisture in the atmosphere. The, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Gulf of Mexico is anywhere from two to seven degrees, depending on where you are in the Gulf, warmer than it should be right now. And the atmosphere is about a degree warmer Celsius, more than a degree Fahrenheit warmer than it should be, than it, than it, than it was just in 1980. And the result of that is that, you know, warm water in the oceans is fuel for hurricane, hurricanes. And the moisture that, the, the, that is held determines the violence of the hurricane. So now you've got this this new Hurricane Irma coming in as a Category 5, 180-mile-an-hour winds today. It has yet to make landfall. But I'm of the opinion that we're all in this together. I agree with George Washington. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Not all that excited about, you know, the, the David Koch perspective on it. I'm much more interested in George Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Wow. 180 mile an hour winds. The strongest Atlantic hurricane ever recorded. This this is amazing. There is a giant hurricane heading possibly toward Florida. And I mean, who knows? I mean, possibly towards us here in Washington, D.C. So take take this very, very seriously. Be very careful. Climate change, global climate change caused by the burning of fossil fuels provided to us by ExxonMobil and Coke Industries and other companies. The climate change brought to you by these companies and others is getting us. Right? It's here. And then, and then, you know, apropos of my, my riff on, um, on charity, Joel Osteen is this mega church pastor in, in Houston, and he didn't want to let people in early on, 
uh, with the flooding because, you know, they've got brand new carpets and whatnot. And, and Roy Zimmerman did just a great song on this. Let me just share a little bit of this. Uh, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a really great song. Here it is. Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, they're begging you to help your fellow man. They're begging you to help your fellow man. Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, but you won't help him even though you can. But you won't help him even though you can. Now Houston had a mighty flood, but somehow it's your name that's mud, because you just want to keep your carpets clean. Gotta keep those carpets clean. You swore that there was no access to your door, and you're right, I guess, because you made sure you kept it locked, Osteen. You offered them your pious prayers, but your prayers couldn't answer theirs. They needed basic shelter and hygiene. And even when you let them in, how long was it before beginning to pass the collection plate, Osteen? Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen. You preach about the Good Samaritan. Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen. But you won't help him even though you can. This guy's a multi-millionaire. Your mansion is a testament to living like the 1% with marble tiles and poop of emerald green that was your house smile really is quite beyond bit. compare you're even slicker than your hair your suits are so expensive it's obscene if you were back in Bethlehem you'd be the one rejecting them yeah take a hike that's what you'd say Osteen Joel Osteen Joel Osteen Joel Osteen Joel Osteen it's what you call the gospel of prosperity. Yeah, I don't think Jesus ever heard Joel of that. Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen. What do they think this is? Some kind of charity. Okay, you, you can fade it out here, Chris. That's, it's, it, it goes on. You can you can uh, just plug uh, Roy Zimmerman into your search engine and you can track it down. Uh, Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Uh, Tom, uh, welcome from Oregon, where we literally can't see our hands in front of our face practically. The, the sun is a beautiful red, uh, intermittently can totally covered up by the smoke from the fires from the highly predicted uh, climate change events based with this and the hurricanes and et cetera. This was, I, thought, I told you before, this was actually my major in college in 1973, environmental science. Everything is happening exactly as predicted and maybe worse. But here, here's my question for you, Tom, and this is a really important question, because I'm calling my representatives, I'm calling my senators and saying, it's time we the people start discussing removal for cause. I, I, our, our government is involved in criminal. You're talking about removal, removal of, of Trump for cause. Oh, no, 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 no. It's time to, to pull an Icelander. It's time to start discussing removal of this government for cause, Tom. They don't represent, we already know statistically they don't represent us at all, statistically. But this climate change, this is criminal negligence, criminal negligence. They're literally, to fatten their little pockets and get reelected, they're prepared to throw the entire world under the bus. They're, they won't even discuss the issue. We're not even researching it at the level of the Congress. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree, Bill. I, I don't think that you're going to see the entire United States government thrown out, though. And, and if anybody tried to do that, it'd be called a coup, and it would be a very, very, very destructive thing. Um, but I, I, I share your concern, and I agree that this is a criminal enterprise, and, I, and there are lawsuits going on right now against ExxonMobil, and I would like to see them against a number of other companies that have been involved in, in uh, funding climate denial, because I, this is terrible stuff. And, and the death, I mean, you got, you got coming up on 50 people now that we know of in Houston, and I'm guessing they're going to find more, who are dead as a result of, of these companies pumping this crap into the air for the last, you know, 150 years and, and the last, more importantly, the last 50 years that they knew this was the predicted result. Bill, thanks for the call. Kevin in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Hi, Tom. Long time no talk. 
Uh, yeah, what's up? Called about uh, one thing, but I just want to make a quick comment about Jeff Bezos uh, that you're talking about. He's got a $600 million contract with either the CIA or the NSA. I can't remember which one. CIA. And when the Washington Post does articles on intelligence, they never disclose that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, Is that what you called uh, about? Did you see that? No, about the Newsweek article, Bernie Sanders voters helped Trump win, and here's proof. Oh, yeah, that was a nonsense article. It was it the the methodology was was pretty useless. Yeah. I mean, it, it's there there were people who voted for Bernie and then voted for Trump. There's no doubt about it. I know uh, at least six of them, and all of them are retired or active duty military who live in the same area where I live, and none of them had ever voted for a Democrat, but they saw in both Bernie and in Trump an outsider who they thought was delivering an honest message. Both of them were saying they were going to end the trade deals that are screwing the country. Both of them said that they were going to end the stupid wars, Trump's phrase. Both of them said that they were going to protect Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Both of them said they wanted to return an industrial base to the United States. And both of them said that they were not going to cut taxes on rich people, but they were going to cut taxes on working people. Oh, and both of them said that everybody in America would have good health care at a lower price than we're getting right now. Both of them said that, Bernie and Trump. Trump, in every single instance, was lying. And my friends who voted for him are sitting around today now crying in their beer going, I, I can't believe I did that. Uh, all except one of them, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, that that study did not did not sort out. I mean, none of the people I know who voted for Trump were Democrats. They were all, excuse me, who voted for Bernie and then voted for Trump were, were Democrats. Bernie had the ability to reach across the aisle. He had the, the ability to pull Republicans in and pull independents in. And that study was just, it's just more, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, navel gazing on the on the DLC left. So, uh, Kevin, thanks for the call. Robin in Kingston, Washington. In fact, there's a thing today in one of the, I've, I've got to print it out here someplace. We'll get to it later on in the program where the DLC is now coming out and saying, you guys don't want to go too far left. You know, that'll screw the Democratic Party. Right. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? Just doing a little bit of wordsmithing, my own uh, uh, Lakoff uh, Luntz thing. Um, We've done a great job on the left taking the being identified the uh, what we used to be called the mainstream media, and now we can call it the corporate media. But I think we have another step to take, and it has two benefits. I think the media that we're talking about that frustrates all of us <clears throat> should actually be called the oligarch media, because I think that's the mouthpiece for the deep state or the oligarchs or whatever. Yeah, and it's largely and, monop it's it's not pure monopoly, but it's damn close. Yeah, I, I agree. And in any event, the powerful people that I call like the people up on the balcony sort of are using uh, the the structure of, quote, corporate mainstream media uh, to be their misinforming um, tool. That's, that's the modality. But when you call this conglomeration oligarch media, what you actually do also is to sort of fire shot across the bow of what uh, media in this country disappoints me more than the corporate media, and that is the alternative media. Because if you're now writing or broadcasting as an alternative media thing, you have, which m most of them are uh, corporate media wannabes, um, they have to take a look at the term uh, oligarch media and say, hey, you know, that is the big boys and girls and people in control, but I'm not. I'm just this little thing, so I'm not oligarch. I am a non-oligarch media. And then the question is, well, are you holding up your end of the First Amendment um, to our Constitution? Yeah, Robin, the, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I get your change in language. What's your call for action here? I'm sorry? What are you asking? What, what is your call for action? What is the therefore of what My you're saying? My call for action is to, just like we changed the term uh, mainstream media on the left to corporate media, for the left to take one more step and really tell the truth. And that Start is calling the it the oligarchs media. media. They are yeah. oligarch media. Yeah, I've, I think that's a great one. I, I, and I, I, will, I will try to remember to do it from time to time. Robin, thank you. It's a great suggestion. Jesse in Miami. Hey, Jesse, what's up? Hey, hi, Tom. 
Uh, hey, Jesse, I, I hope you you have a uh, you have some place to go or someplace safe in the event that you get hit with a storm like Harvey. I hope so too. I got two big oak trees over the house. Oh my! I think this house will be history if we get that thing full strength. Please be very uh, careful, Jesse. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, you cover everything. The one thing I, I like to connect to is the uh, class war and the basic divide we have with the one percent and ninety-nine percent. Is it really because of? Capitalism is really incompatible with democracy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, a raw, unrestrained, unfettered capitalism always, virtually all, no, I'd say always, has as its end result, functionally, slavery. Capitalism always produces a very, very large, very, very impoverished working class, a small middle class and a small group of, uh, you know, oligarchs of elite wealthy. That's that's the natural process of, of capitalism. And, you know, the, the and it's a very stable system. Uh, and and, you know, they they understood this in Britain in the in the 17 and 1800s. It's why, you know, Charles Dickens wrote about this world in virtually every one of his novels. The one that most people are familiar with, of course, is A Christmas Carol. And and uh, this is why, you know, England used to have maximum wage laws, not minimum wage laws, maximum wage laws. So a middle class could not emerge. Spot on, Jesse. Good luck with the hurricane. Welcome back. I'm Hartman here with you. Charles in Opelika, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, I'm fine. How you doing, Jay Tom? Good. What's on your mind? Well, um, Donald Trump and DACA. Mm-hmm. And just listening to what he's saying, that he's deferring the action for the Congress, it just sounds like the regular routine that the Republicans always run by, just like, you know, um, we didn't see the shooting, but we're going to review the shooting right. or anything else, you know, or anything like that. Um, in six months from now, it's just giving them time. And what it does is distract us enough where when it comes around again, not everybody's paying attention. Yep. And then they do the dirty work. So... Anyone that voted for Trump, thinking that he would help or even help the situation with DACA, they have to be rethinking, rethinking what's going on, you know. And um, as far as this hurricane is coming, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm li- I live in Miami, but mm. I'm actually going to go out of town. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I would get out of town as fast as possible. Um, you know, I, I got I got my parents here and the rest of my kids. I'm going to try to see what we can do as far as arranging that as well. But the thing is, I don't. I don't want to take the chance after looking at what happened to Houston. Yeah. We're also very flat here as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and Miami is like only six feet above sea level. <laughs> Houston was at least you know twenty, thirty, fifty feet. I don't know whatever it was. Uh, I was just this morning looking. DC is like four hundred feet above sea level. So you know we're we have some protection, but man, it's going to be a tough one. Charles, I wish you the very best. Take good care of yourself. And thanks okay. for the call. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Mike in uh, Wycliffe. Ohio. Hey, Mike, what's up? Good afternoon, Professor Hartman. Hey, Mike. Uh, Just to tag on to uh, some of your previous callers about the forgotten holiday, Labor Day, just to show you how outrageous it was. And now I'm a retired operating engineer. I've been retired for three years. And I'm afforded a decent pension, health care for my wife and myself. And as us unions, disappear so goes the middle class but yeah anyway, you have you have exactly what my outrageous. i'm sorry the, go ahead the most outrageous thing i saw yesterday and i and i did get in on washington journal on c-span their lead call-in guest was mark mix of the right to work institute a coke funded oh, low pay institute and i called in and I told him, I said, shame on you. I said, you could have had any labor leader from the AFL-CIO, any workers' organization, non-union or union, but you put this guy on. And I called him what he was, Tom. He's nothing but a shill for the top 1% and 2% funded by Charles and David Koch. And I was outraged. Yeah. I, I, I just... 
I didn't lose my temper, but right after I called him a shill, which is exactly what Mark Nix is, then they then they took me off. Yeah. Uh, so you said that on the air, Mike. I, I called him a shill. On the air. Wow. For, for, I'm... for, for the top one and two percent. I said some people are dupes, and as you pointed out, some people are shills, and I called him a highly paid shill. Yeah. Fascinating. Mike, thanks for the call. And uh, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. David in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Uh, greetings from Rio Rancho. Uh, and uh, the Sandia Mountains are right in front of me, and I can barely see them because the daytime here kind of looks like something out of Blade Runner. So, <laughs> Is that the, you know, we had the call from Oregon, caller from Oregon, who's, you know, there's massive wildfires going on there. He couldn't see the sun. Is that from the wildfires in California? Uh, I actually, I don't, they said the new set of fire was from somewhere, but I had to run to work and I couldn't verify yeah. like what, where it was, but it's okay. coming in, in the last well, we, we have a minute and a half until the end of the hour, David, what's on your mind? Oh, anyway, yeah, I'll get uh, straight to the topic. Um, thank you for like talking about the whole, uh, Joel Olstein thing. You know, I, you know, you, anybody can say what they want about, you know, Jesus, St. Francis or even mother Teresa, but they didn't have to be shamed into helping people. They just went right ahead and did it. And uh, also, they were poor on top of all that. Jesus and Mother Teresa. Yeah, Joel Osteen is not, uh, <laughs> he's, he's certainly not walking in Jesus' sandals, in my opinion. Oh, but, no, I, I, I caught on even, like, way back, you know, years ago. You know, it's just like, that. this is something that people should have caught on a long time ago. But, yeah, and there was that, and then there was also just uh, how, even after they helped people, they didn't brag about it. People bragged about what they did, but the person themselves that did the helping, they didn't say anything about that. Yeah. But anyway, really quickly before I go off the air, I was just thinking about, you were talking about charity and, and how bad Republicans are with tax dollars. Well, I've looked at their progress on both the state and federal level when they talk about giving handouts to companies or building totally expensive uh, football stadiums for high school. Not, at, not the NFL, just high schools. Oh, money's not an issue. That what that you know. But then when it comes down to helping the working poor, the working middle class, they're like, "Oh my God! Oh, we're in debt. We can't do this." Oh, you know, it like right. if we raise taxes on the Walton family that owns Walmart, I mean, they're just one tax dollar away from being out in the cold with a tin cup in their hands. And it's simply not true. But they keep that diatribe going, and they act as if one regulation is going to throw Exxon Mobil out of the job. And it's just, you know, I'm just sick and tired of their song and dance. They yeah. need it. Yeah, welcome to the club, David. I completely agree. Thanks for the call. Very, very well said. We will be back. Lila Connors is going to be with us at the Corral. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you, and I'm super pleased to have on the line with us uh, the director, producer, writer, founder of Tree Media, a documentary filmmaker. She made uh, The Eleventh Hour with Leo DiCaprio way back uh, 15, 20 years ago, thereabouts, uh, that I'm in. And uh, Leo and I did four uh, short videos that you can find on the Internet over at GreenWorldRising.org. Uh, Lila did those. She put those together. She has a new movie out. It's called We the People 2.0, The Second American Revolution. It's about the brilliant work that Thomas Lindsay, who's been a guest on this program many times, and his good friends at CELDEF, the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, are up to. Lila, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And, and I should say, to people who want to find it, the movie is at We the People, the number two, dot film. We the people, Correct. number two dot film. And you can tweet Lila at Lila, L-E-I-L-A, Connors, C-O-N-N-O-R-S, or E-R-S, excuse E-R-S. me. Yeah. Uh, so, Lila, tell us about the movie. Well, uh, as you mentioned, Tom um, runs CellDef, and that is a, uh, an environmental law firm that helps small communities protect themselves from polluters and harms that are usually perpetrated by corporations that have basically more rights than people do. So, for example, uh, some of the first work that they did was in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania, where people were getting sludge and fly ash pits. There was one community that was surrounded by over 20 fly ash pits. And when they came together to build consensus to say, you know what, we don't want any more fly ash here, 
they found out they didn't have the power to say no because state law preempted their local law. And when they, you know, participated in the democratic process and voted to say, no, we don't want fly ash, they found out that, well, the fly ash companies had permission by the state to dump in their neighborhood and they had no recourse. So we found out that the environmental crisis that we're experiencing with climate change, with the polluted air, polluted water, degraded soil, has a lot to do with law. And so that's why we decided to make this film, because where, where the rubber hits the road, again, is with law and with citizenship. And so we made this film to, to bring this to the fore, to bring it into the conversation. Are you... Are you uh is one of the goals of the movie to reach out to people in communities that might be under assault by corporate, uh, uh, you know, yeah. whether it's a giant hog farm or whether it's a, a an industrial waste, yeah. you know, treatment plant or something to go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is basically a mixture between a film and a primer. It's sort of a how-to to get your community um, going on this kind of work. Because essentially, a lot of communities will find themselves trapped in what we call the regulatory framework. So uh, let's just say there's a fracking site or, again, another dump site or flash pit that may be polluting a, a water source. You will spend years trying to fight either prove whether or not this activity is polluting your water or is it violating a, a permit or is there a regulation being violated. And that can go back and forth in the court for years. And meanwhile, people are getting sick and dying, literally. So rather than fight that regulatory battle, which is somewhat of a red herring, what Thomas Lindsay and Seldes argue quite rightly is that as human beings who have a sovereign right to their health, safety, and welfare, they can simply say, listen, we would like no poisons in our water. Water is a, a right. We have a right to clean water, and therefore that's it. We don't need to argue the regulatory framework. We're just going to argue that we want our community safe. And so that is actually working, and the film is being screened in small communities around the country, who are facing all sorts of things. And thanks to you and, the, and uh, the show last week, we got several new communities that started screening the film uh, because they are facing various harms. This is, this is great. The, uh, it, it, it seems that the, the argument that conservatives have made for years and years about local control um, and states' rights as a subset, you know, and local control being a subset of that, have largely been, uh, we have the right to discriminate against black people. We have the right to, to uh, well, that, that's been probably 95% of it, you know, all this, this state rights, local control, or, you know, we're going to, or we want to cut off federal funding for, you know, undeserving uh, uh, people or whatever, you know, in the, in the conservative world. But it seems that if you, if you were to say local communities should have the right and power to assert their own, you know, the, their own control over their own community. In other words, to keep their own air clean, to, to keep their, their, their land, you know, uh, pristine, to keep their water pure. Uh, that seems like, you know, given conservative rhetoric, that would be the most conservative argument you could make, the most, you know, kind of classically small C conservative uh, I don't know if there's a small J Jeffersonian, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear what you mean. And and yeah. and yet the the conservative infrastructure, including the, the 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 all these judges who came up through the Federalist Society and and you know got appointed by Republicans, they all tend to defer to the state, saying no, we're going to preempt your power, you know, local community to to declare yourself a no pollution zone or a no fracking zone or a no hog farm zone. Yeah. We are not going to let you do that. And these corporate conservatives are in support of 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 stopping that at sea. I mean what what's the dynamic here? And well, I think you just you laid something bare there, which is that those people there are people that navigate and use the law to achieve their ends better than others. And for the, a very, very long time, corporate uh, behavior has used law to execute their aims very, very effectively. So in the case of that you just mentioned, you know, sometimes it's better that they work at the state level. Sometimes it's better at the federal level. And, you know, sometimes conservative, obviously, agendas work at the local level. Now, remember, this work of cell death is 
to expand rights, not to contract rights. So we would never, ever allow for, you know, uh, prohibition on anything. Uh, for example, with uh, the same-sex marriage, it would never come into play there. It's always an expansion of rights, building on the rights that we already have. And what we're trying to do is remind people that in a democracy, in a functioning democracy, people are sovereign. People are the foundation upon which this, this country has been built, and therefore what they say goes, not what a corporation says goes. And so right now we're really of by and for the corporations, not of by and for the people, effectively on the ground. There's been many studies now that have come out that said if you look at the will and the polling over the last 20 to 30 years, the will of the people has not been played out in law. It's mostly the right. will of the corporations. And so, again, it's not so much anti-corporate as in the corporate form as a concept. It's anti-corporate in how it behaves in our legal system against human beings and communities. So we're looking at a framework wherein corporations can work side-by-side side with communities to, to support health, safety, and welfare, rather than be antithetical to the well-being of people. And so how do we do that? And right now, uh, the, the system is being played quite effectively by those people that understand law better than these communities do. And a, a lot of the time, communities and people believe that the higher powers, for example, let's just say state government or the president, has their best interests in mind. Well, you know, that's not entirely true in many cases. If you are in a sacrifice zone, as we see now with Houston, how that's playing out, uh, wherein there's all of these chemical plants and fossil fuel plants, and they've been fighting against regulations for years, look what happens. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a truly remarkable story. And, and Lila Connors is the director, producer, uh, a writer and founder of Tree Media. Do she's a documentary filmmaker. The newest film, We the People 2.0, the Second American Revolution. The website is We the People, followed by the number two, We the People Two dot film. And you can tweet her at Lila Connors, L E I L A C O N N E R S, or at Tree Media Group. Lila, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Great having you with us. We'll be back. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Every, over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L dot com, promo code TOM, void where prohibited. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And on the line with us is uh, Inga, Inga Frickland, the, uh, Dr. Ingla, Inga Frickland, uh, pr former prosecutor and assistant state attorney in Cook, Cook County, Illinois, a policy advisor to Afghanistan, spent five years there. She's a member of the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, LEAP. LawEnforcementActionPartnership.org is the website. You can tweet her at Inga Frickland, I-N-G-E-F-R-Y-K-L-U-N-D. Inga, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So you, as a former prosecutor, as assistant state attorney, um, as a member of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, you're, I would think, very familiar with the needs of police departments around the United States, or at least in, in the Chicago area where you work. And uh, how are those needs being met by Donald Trump wanting to redirect military equipment to our police departments? I think what he's doing is very counterproductive. It's going to lead to less effective policing and probably more danger to the police officers. How? Well, it's encouraging this militarization of our police departments. 
Remember a decade or more ago, we used to talk about community policing and officer friendly. Mm-hmm. That's gone by the board. Uh, starting in 1997, this is called the 1033 program that gives extra military equipment to local law enforcement. It started out for fighting the drug war and then added terrorism. It's another theory. Uh, it's giving military equipment to local police departments, which is encouraging them to think that they're in a war rather than as fellow citizens defending their communities. And it's perpetuated this us versus them feeling with the police, which makes citizens that much less likely to be able to turn to the police uh, when they have problems or when they know something about who a suspect might be. And if those sources of information get cut off, the police are going to be much less successful at solving serious crimes, and they can be in more personal danger if they're not getting information from their communities. Louise and I, a week or so ago, were trying to take a break from politics, and so we went to Netflix to watch some... That's that's hard to do. ...some good old-fashioned dumb television, right? And uh, pulled up Hawaii Five-0. I used to love that show when I was a little kid, uh, back when Jack Lord was in it. And... um, you know, now there's a new version of it. We were watching uh, season four, episode 19. And in the middle of the show, the guy who is the head cop, he plays the role of Steve McGarrett. I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry. Um, he's got a suspect, not not somebody who's been convicted or anything, just a suspect. And he's trying to get information out of the guy. The guy doesn't want to talk. And so he starts beating the crap out of him, you know, on television. This is illegal, right? It's illegal behavior for a police officer. And this is sure. maybe the 10th or 15th time that I've witnessed violent assaults by police officers on people who who are not under arrest or not convicted of a crime. And, uh, you know, on this program, on this show, now I, I, I haven't watched, you know, hundreds of cop shows and I don't, you know, I'm not a big cop show watcher, but I'm guessing if this is what, like one of the number, you know, one of the top shows in America, that probably a lot of other cop shows are doing the same thing, glorifying police brutality, essentially. Is this the cult? Is this cultural thing or this Hollywood thing infecting our police departments? Do they watch these guys on TV? I mean, wherever McGarrett goes, he's got a SWAT team following him. Do they watch this and say, "Oh, this is how we have to do it here in Gary, Indiana"? Or is it is it the other way around? Is it that the writers who are putting together Hawaii Five O and other shows like that? I, you know, not to just pick on them. Um, are the writers looking at what's going on in police departments and saying, okay, this is the new reality in America. The police are brutal. They cut the corners. They get around. They, they ignore the law, and they, and they, and they hide things uh, on behalf of each other. What's going on here? And, and is pop culture driving any of this, or is this being reflected by pop, pop culture, or is, is, there a, is there no connection there? Well, I think there's some connection. Probably there's a big circular reinforcing effect going on here. For one thing, as far as the shows go, uh, it's a lot more exciting and you probably get more viewers if you have a SWAT team showing up on the program. It's hard to get drama out of a hostage negotiator very quietly managing to talk down some subject or suspect. So that's one thing that drives it. Plus, there's the reality that there is more violence between police and citizens than I think there used to be. And some a good bit of it is driven by this militarization, which comes from the federal government passing out these uh, tools of war, essentially as toys for police departments. Right. Now, this was the 1033... So more 1033 is the name of the program. It's whatever the statutory... Right, yeah. Well, this was started during the Reagan administration, as I recall? Well, it goes back to 97 is when it was. Oh, okay. So this uh, was during initiated. the Clinton administration. Uh, if Clinton was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah was Clinton good. was 92 to, to 2000. So. Yeah. Okay. So um, the 1033 program, the theory was the military has surplus uh, goods that police departments may be able to use. Bullets, uh, you know, uh, holsters, guns, whatever. And... And that's how it was sold to us and sold to Congress. But the, 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 the effect has been all kinds of, you know, advanced, I mean, basically weapons of war are being handed off to police departments. 
has the has the program been reinvented to actually envisage passing out weapons of war to to to, to you know enthusiastically be part of the hypermilitarization of our police departments, or is this a perversion of the program that just is ongoing because it's profitable to the to the military contractors who are supplying the goods? Well, as usual, I think there's several things going on. Starting in '97. The express statutory purpose was to help fight the drug war. And then it was several years later that drugs and terrorism became the, the purposes for it. And I think it was passed without a whole lot of thought about the consequences, some of the problems that this would entail. You know, it sounds fairly simple to, hey, let's pass out some surplus military equipment, but you know, without thinking who's going to get it, who authorizes it, how's it going to be used, what are the consequences, uh, not a whole lot of thought. And I sometimes wonder if one of the problems is how few members of Congress now have military experience. That's mm. becoming less and less likely. Now, I've never been in the military myself, but I have been um, – deployed in Afghanistan as an advisor with both the uh, the Army and the Marine Corps. So I was riding around in some of these you know, monster vehicles, and I was actually licensed to drive a Humvee when I was in Afghanistan. Uh, this stuff's a whole lot of fun, and I can see why police departments might think it was fun to to have it. So it's like toys for boys? I'm sorry? So it's like toys for boys? Uh, that is a part of it. So it's, you know, it's much more sexy to drive um, a big vehicle than a Crown Victoria. Yeah, I guess boys and girls. Yeah. But the, when the military is using this, there is a tremendous amount of training that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also been involved in training at both Fort Polk and Fort Irwin here in the States. And I remember once at Fort Polk in Louisiana, on a paved street, a uh, a big MRAP, these mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, making a right-hand turn and managed to flip over. Uh, they're very um, high-centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, another training accident at Fort Irwin, the thing went over an embankment and the turret gunner lost his arm. Ouch. So the military spends a lot of time training people, not only in the mechanics of how to operate the equipment, but a whole set of training about use of force, escalation of force, so that they know when these things can be used. But under 1033, this just gets handed over, you know, like a puppy on your doorstep, uh, to people who have no particular training, uh, either on how to operate the vehicles or what makes a reasonable use of force uh, when you're in some situation? So, so Inga, we're, we're just about out of time here, but I'm, I'm wondering, is there, is there any organized pushback to 1033? I mean, President Obama ended the 1033 program, I thought, but uh, uh, Trump no, just brought it back. He didn't end it. Um, he put some restrictions on it so that the most lethal uh, stuff was not going to be sent out. Um, and that's what uh, Attorney General Sessions has recently reversed. He's willing to give police whatever. Right. Uh, things such as some um, uh, tactical vests, you know, other office equipment and what have you, that was not stopped by right. Obama. So things which keep police safe, that was continuing. What Sessions is now advocating is giving back some of this offensive capability. And I'm I'm thinking back to some of the news footage from Ferguson, Missouri, a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. The last time I had seen scenes like that was when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, these giant tanks. Why are we turning this on our own citizens? Something is terribly wrong when that's happening. So, Inga, what's an issue that we should be dealing with? We're talking with former prosecutor, assistant state's attorney Cook, uh, with Cook County, uh, advisor to Afghanistan, uh, spent five years there, member of law enforcement action partnership LEAP, um, uh, Inga Frickland. Uh, 
is what if, if somebody is listening to this program right now and wants to do something to try to stop the 1033 program in the 30 seconds we have left, what can they do or should they do? Well, they can certainly be talking to their congressional representative. Mm-hmm. And it's something which should be raised with their local elected officials. Because over the last few years, various states had tried to put some limits on this. And the, the federal government seems to be overriding those local limits. Because one of the many problems with this is that the equipment was simply handed out to a law enforcement jurisdiction that asked for it, completely bypassing the democratic accountability of the budget process in which a, uh, a city or a county is going to have to openly debate, hey, do we really want to buy this stuff? Right. Yeah, because if it's free, and it's like, yeah. Inga, we're out of time, but thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you. I, I, I truly appreciate it. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between. Plus, best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.